Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. So enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege that we have to open your word tonight. And I pray that you encourage our hearts and challenge us concerning this thing of thanksgiving thanks. For truly thou art worthy of our praise, our honor, and our worship, and our thanks. So, Father, we pray that you would encourage us and thank you again for what you've given us with your word and the person of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the salvation and assurance of heaven we have in him. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Thanksgiving is probably, I don't think it's, it's probably the, the most overlooked holiday. Uh... It's the most original to American holiday. You know, uh, others have others uh, have some sometimes some forms of Thanksgiving, but Mer- uh, Thanksgiving is an American holiday. Of course, it dates back to the Pilgrims, sixteen twenty-one. Uh, but it's often overlooked. You know, you go into stores and there's there's uh, Halloween decoration, and then there you go to Christmas. That's often what they do. But anyway. Uh, but for God's people, Thanksgiving is not to be limited to a certain day of the year. Thanksgiving is an act of giving thanks, gratefulness, uh, acknowledging of benefits and favors. We looked at some of this. Psalm 26, 7 says that I may publish with a voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Psalm 50, verse 14, offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And of course, giving thanks is a sacrifice that is well-pleasing to him. Psalm 69.30, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. So there's a way we can magnify the Lord is giving thanks to his name. Uh, James Fawcett McBride in our commentary said, This psalm is a general call on all the earth to render exalted praise to God, the creator, preserver, and benefactor of men, unquote. So as we consider this psalm, it's a lot of here about thanksgiving. First of all, the condition of our thanksgiving or the manner in which we offer it. Verses 1 and 2 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. The word, the joyful noise speaks of a triumphant shout. You know, when Joshua and the children of Israel were told to go into, to march around Jericho and and, you know, in that seventh day, they're marching around it seven times. And the last time around, they ever give it a, give a shout. That was a triumphant shout. And the walls came tumbling down. A triumphant shout is a shout of victory. And we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 108, verse 9 says, uh, Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Over Philistia will I triumph. And that's kind of the idea there, triumph. So we are to give a triumphant shout. You know, it's, a, it's an enthusiastic shout. Uh, enthusiastic thanksgiving. You know, some of, some of you 
are sports fans. I used to be. I could almost care. I could care less nowadays. I sometimes sit down and watch along with my wife. She likes certain. She likes football, college football. Anyway, we call it fan. You know what fan's short for? Fanatic. That's what it's short for. And you know, fans get very enthusiastic. Um, and you know, the the definition of a fan is an enthusiastic devotee. I remember several years ago, I was downstairs in the office one evening studying, and every once in a while I'd heard this loud, yes, or woohoo, or, you know, something like that. Well, that was a trumpet shout. I think somebody scored a touchdown or something. Obviously, it wasn't the opposing team. But uh, there was obvious excitement and enthusiasm, and that's what this, this, this is speaking of here. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness, and we demonstrate our thanksgiving by glad or joyful service or gladness, joy, and pleasure. Deuteronomy twenty-eight forty-seven, he says, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. You know, it's kind of amazing to me as you think about it. You know, often we think that that well, well, you know, in our society, the liberals blame crime on the environment you know Hillary Clinton for 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 years promoted you know the village we need we need the village and and others said no we need a home that's what we need it's homes we need homes that are that are right and that'll change the village the village isn't going to do it for you you can grow up in the greatest village and be be a criminal but you know they they uh the world promotes this idea. It's the problem of society is the environment people live in. No, it's the heart. It's the heart. And it's the heart that creates the environment we live in. And the children of Israel, when they didn't go astray from God when they were in dire straits. They didn't go astray from God when they were suffering. They didn't go astray from God when when their captors came in and took them captive. No, they went astray from God when they were had abundance of things and then God brought the judgment and the captors because they went astray from Him. Why? They served them not with... They didn't serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. They had all, the, all this abundance. Do you know that, do you ever think about the, uh, was it Ahab or Omri had ivory beds? How many of you have ivory beds? I mean, these people were wealthy. And yet they forsook God. Second Chronicles 30, 22 says, And the whole assembly took counsel to keep other seven days, and they kept other seven days with gladness. Now, this, this wasn't a time when Israel was living in abundance. This was in, during the days of, of, uh, of, of the... Of the uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. I, I thought it was Nehemiah, but it's not Nehemiah. It's Second Chronicles. But, you know, they, they, they had set... I think this was uh, Josiah. You know, there was a lot of problems in the nation at the time, and, and a lot of enemies, and... And so they, they kept it seven days. Uh, Acts 2.46, They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. 
Now, we know this was a time of persecution, duress, stress. And yet, they ate with gladness and singleness of heart. You know, I think our lack of gratitude to God is indicative of the fact that we don't take the holiness of God and the judgment of God for sin and sinners seriously. Hell is no longer feared. And sin is no longer feared. We just kind of think it's no big deal. It's not serious. And so, you know, these people had joy and gladness. Now, Nehemiah 12. Here, this is in Nehemiah 12, 42. Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, and Jehonanan, and Malchijah, and Elam, and Ezer, and the singers sang loud with Jezariah, their overseer. So there was, there was joy, and they were making a joyful noise. They sang loud. It's the same idea. Sing unto, the Psalm 33:11 says, Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. And of course, Psalm 98:4 says, Make a joyful noise. Somebody says that's a glorious racket. Um, we're, to, we're to sing loudly unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. So there ought to be joyful service. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp under God. Psalm 147 verse 7 says. And so these are to be the conditions of our thanksgiving. Notice secondly the comprehension of our thanksgiving. We are to be thankful because we know, verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We ought to be thankful for the things that we know. Are you thankful for the things that you know about God? Are you thankful for the things you know about yourself? You know, if you're going to be thankful for the things you know about God, then you're going to realize you're thankful that you realized you were a sinner in need of a Savior. You were under the judgment of God. Your sin was an offense against God, or is an offense against God. We ought to be thankful, thankful the things that we know. That the Lord is God. The Lord is God. The God we serve is God of God's. Isaiah 43.12 says, I have declared and have saved and have showed where there, when there was no strange God among you, therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. I am God. Isaiah 45.22, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is none else. Mark 12, 29, and Jesus answered him, and first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, the world has a lot of gods. Paul spoke of that in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, when he said, But to us there is but one God. You know, they had all these idols that they sacrificed animals to, and then they'd sell this meat in the open markets. And so there was concern about buying this meat that's been offered and sacrificed to idols and and Paul said, 
he asked this question, what is an idol? There are no gods. You know, all these false gods are figures of man's imaginations. I mean, you may have your own imagination of what, who you think God is or what you think God is like, but is it scriptural? You know, we learn what, who God is and what God is like from the scriptures, not from what we think. There's only one, and, and he says, but to us. So Paul says, but to us there is but one God. All these others are, are not really gods. I, I mean, you could, you could, if you want to sacrifice an animal to a god, go ahead. But it's not a god. It's dead. It could be a stone. You know, in today's world, it could be a tree. It could be the sun or the moon or, you know. An ancestor? No. He says there's, there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Ephesians 4, 5 and 6 says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There's only one God. And we ought to be thankful that we know or have the ability to know that we can sit and listen and hear and be taught and preached to that of the true God. And of course, this true God is he that hath made us. He's our creator. Verse Genesis 2.27 says, The Lord God, foreign man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And, and we know that, that all things were created by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And in him is life. All life comes from God. The true God. The one and only God. Job 10.8, Job said, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me together round about. And Psalm 139, verse 16 says, Thy eyes didn't see my substance. Now, some commentators say that refers to your DNA. I mean your most intricate body parts. Your DNA. Yet being unperfect, in all thy book, all my members were written. God knew about, he knew about your heart, your lungs, your liver, your spleen, your tonsils, which they say you're not needed. What's the other thing? Appendix, they say you're not needed. Yeah, God, God fashioned all those. By the way, they found out that those two things do have a purpose now. I kind of figured, you know, they wouldn't be there if they had no purpose. God doesn't create things without a purpose. <clears throat> in Jeremiah 1.5, the Lord told Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. I knew thee. You know, Paul, when speaking to those very sophisticated religious folks at Athens in Acts chapter 17 in verses 22 to 29 he reminds them that 
God that made the world. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breadth and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. You know, every person lives with life from God. Life is in the hand of God. He has the power of death and of hell. He is the creator and sustainer of life. And when it's time to wrap all this up in this world, man's going to have nothing to say about it. They're not going to be able to say, Oh Lord, just give me more time! No. When he says it's over, it's over. One of these days it's going to be over. Time's going to be up. Why? Life is in his hand. He knows the hearts of men. He knows your heart. No, we, it's in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. That is, we are his creation. This is our God. This is our God. He is the creator. You know, in having the privilege of knowing we were created in fashion, prepared by God, we have a purpose. He prepares, he's prepared for us, and he helps us understand our need. It helps us understand and make, make him Lord. You know, we can know God's will and purpose for our life. We're not just wandering stars or accidents. I've heard parents say, about one of their children. Oh yeah, they were an accident. We didn't plan on that one. Uh, that's not a very nice thing to say. Especially in front of your child. There isn't any accidents. With God. God's a giver of life. Now we're not just wandering stars. Your Paul was told. By Ananias. In Acts 22.14, he said, The God of our Father hath chosen thee, thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. In other words, God has, God has made it known to you that you should know his will. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> this is our Creator, and our Creator wants us, wants people... And us in particular, to know His will. He saved us for a purpose. He's made us for a purpose. Even if you're not saved, God has made you for a purpose. I was talking to my wife today. There was an article in the, I think it was in the Epic Times. And uh, I clipped it about a girl, was transgender, who had surgeries and went through all the stuff. And now she's suing. She's 20 or 21, I think, now. And she's suing the hospitals and those who, who, who 
prescribed and encouraged her and pushed her in this. Uh, I mean, she she had she had a breast removed. Just just a, you know, her body's been mutilated. And she said, "I never can't be. I never, I never reached peace with myself until I realized, except or until I accepted the person I was made, the gender I was made." See, it, until we accept that God has made us who we are for a purpose, we'll be constantly in rebellion against Him. Ephesians 1, in verses 4 through 12, says this, According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, now this is written to Christians, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. This is our purpose. We're to be holy and without blame. For him, having predestinated, in other words, he wants to bring to pass unto us the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure's will. That's talking about the redemption of the body. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So we've been accepted by God as children of God, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in him. And so the mystery of this will here is talking about the dispensation of the fullness of times. And the fullness of times refers to the, the, the time where the Gentiles are going to basically rule over Jerusalem. Luke twenty one twenty four says this, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, you might say, well, Israel's in control, are they? They really control. They are still dependent upon Gentile world powers and they are still divided in that country. There's not complete control by Israel. Uh, anyway, in the times Gentiles, so refers to the time the Gentiles will rule the world, and they're going to rule. The Gentiles are going to rule the world until, till what? Till Jesus rules on the throne of David, and then Israel is going to rule the world again with the King. Jesus Christ. It's going to be the king, kingdom age. So, so he said the dispensation of the fullness of times. So, uh, after, you know, after that dispensation, he's going to gather one and uh, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and earth. So this is all yet future. And then it says, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Talking about the kingdom of God here. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. So God, that's God's purpose that yet to be fulfilled. However, we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So, you know, we can know his will. We can even know future events and the fullness of time and the gathering gathering of all the saved people. And that's kind of a, was a mystery that was revealed to Paul. But our purpose is, right now is, we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. That the praise of his glory has the idea of commending his honor. 
We ought to be commending his honor to a lost and dying world. His glory but, you know, to, to the to world by our witness and our life, our testimony. We're to be commending his honor. That's what it means, praise, the praise of his glory. The idea there is to, to, to commend his honor. And so we have a purpose. We have a purpose in life. We're just not here wandering stars and not knowing what we need to do as God's children. No, we have a purpose. And we can fulfill that purpose by working out in the world and rubbing shoulders with people and being a witness and testimony to them. That's how we fulfill that purpose. Commending to them, by us commending the honor of God to them. Pointing them to a righteous and holy God. He hath made us. He's made us for a purpose. And we can be thankful that we know the Lord is our Lord. Notice again verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. So we aren't left to our own devices. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We are His children. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, verse 1. Galatians 3, 26 says, We are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. We are the children of God. So we are His people. We are His people. We are the subjects of His care. We are His sheep. His sheep. And verse 4 says, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. But you think about it, entering into his gates. The porter will only open the gate to the shepherd. In other words, the door keeper will only open the door for the shepherd. And Jesus said, I am the door. So if you're going to get into the Lord's sheepfold, you have to go through the door. The porter will only open it for the Lord. The sheepfold is only open to those who know the shepherd. And they are his sheep. And he will provide and protect his sheep. Go to John 10. John 10. John 10, 1. Verily... I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. So if you're trying to enter, if you're trying to, to enter into the kingdom of God, trying to be saved some other way than the prescribed way in the scriptures, repentance and faith in Christ, you're 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 the thief. You're the thief. You're like a thief. You know, a thief doesn't come through the open door that's opened by the owner of the house. The thief breaks in. Or he comes, tries to come in another way, through a window or some other way. No, he comes in an illegal way. 
Uh, and so this is, a, this is like a person trying to get into the kingdom of God or be saved by some other way than through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. The wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. A hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 26, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. Of course, he's saying this to the Pharisees. As I said unto you, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And so, you know, we are the subjects of his care, of his protection. Just like a shepherd takes care. You know, David is a perfect picture of a real shepherd. How many of you would intervene for a flock of sheep against a bear or a lion without a 30 out 6 or a 243 or an AR15 but David did David laid his life on the line because he was a real shepherd they were his sheep they were his father's sheep and our lord laid his life on the line for his sheep he will protect and provide his sheep there's an interesting statement over Luke chapter 10. Remember Jesus sent his disciples out and gave them power over devils and demons and they cast out demons and they healed the sick and they did all this kind of stuff and they came back just rejoicing that the, that, that the demons were subject to us. And Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning falleth from the east or something like that. In other words, I beheld Satan and, and the word picture is, did, did your parent ever give you that look that said, stop what you're doing? Or, else, and you knew what else meant? See, we're the subjects of his care, of his protection. Now, sometimes I know in the Bible it appears like some people didn't get protection. They were persecuted and they were put to death even. And other times, you know, Peter escaped. We don't know all the reasons and why and all that, but we do know that out of Stephen's martyrdom, I believe that Paul was convicted, Saul was convicted and eventually saved. And I think that's fruit of, the, of Stephen's testimony. But anyway, but the point is, 
We're the subjects. The Lord is our Lord. And He has all authority. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. We ought to rejoice. We're thankful for that. Then consider the recipient of our thanksgiving. If you notice in verse 5, For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and truth endureth to all generations. Our Lord is good. You know, He ought to receive thanksgiving. 2 Chronicles 5.13 says, It came even to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord. Psalm 25, verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. You know, God, aren't you glad that God teaches us? Teaches us through his word, through the preaching and teaching of his word. Psalm 54, verse 6 says, I will freely sacrifice unto thee, I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. It is good. Psalm 84, 11, For the Lord God is the sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. And so, our God is good. The Lord is good. God's not only good to His children, His friends, but also to His enemies. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. He maketh His Son to sign on the Sun to shine on the just and the unjust alike. And there is no end or limit to His mercy. And again in verse 5, His mercy is everlasting, His truth endureth to all generations. His mercy is infinite in scope, everlasting in duration. Again, mercy is withholding what we deserve. And Psalm Second uh, Chronicles 7, 3 says, for he is good, his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 103 tells us he's not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. You know, I have known people that have rejected the Lord who had been given notice. They were going to die. I mean, they had terminal terminal illness. Now, everyone knows they're going to die. Unless they're really, really, really a skeptic. But everybody knows they're going to die sometime. But nobody expects it to be tomorrow. But some get terminal illnesses. They have a death sentence. You know, you go out six months or six weeks or two years or whatever. And they go on and live for themselves. By the way, aging is terminal. <laughs> it is. Hate hate to be a bear of bad news, but aging is terminal. You know, it's amazing when COVID hit, all of a sudden the fear of dying was used to push the pandemic agenda. You know, 
some people made it sound like, oh, people are dying. All, all of a sudden, we were supposed to be all immortal. No, no, people do die every year. Although there was a lot more people died than was necessary. You see, the fact that God's mercy is not limited, it's infinite in scope, it's everlasting in duration, we have continual opportunity to repent. Or you can continue in your rebellion and, and, and rejection of the mercy of God. You know, God could justly judge us guilty and send us all to hell and be done with it. And you know what? He'd be just in doing it. Because the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But no, God is merciful. His mercy is everlasting. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The Lord's mercy is that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are anew every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, if you're not saved, every morning you wake up, God's been merciful to you. And giving you another day. Another opportunity. And then finally, we need to be thankful unto Him because He is immutable. Aren't you glad? That simply means God does not change. Aren't you glad if you, when, when you got saved, God didn't finally say, oh, I changed my mind. Sorry. Did you ever have somebody offer you something? And you, know, you say, well, let me think about it. And then you go back and say, yeah, I'll do that. And they say, oh, I changed my mind. Sorry. You know, people do that. God doesn't do that. He'll never do that. If we will come to him on his terms, he'll never say, oh, sorry, I changed my mind. Why? Because he's immutable. He does not change. God's laws, his standards of holiness, his expectation, what pleases him, does not change with circumstances, cultures, feelings, or favor. It's the same for everyone. From the richest to the poorest. You know, that gives confidence. When you know somebody that does not change, it gives confidence. You know, if, and if you are a sincere seeker of truth and willing to obey it, you will always end up agreeing with God. Because He is truth. You know, I, I'm not sure, I don't think it was Sunday morning, I think it was two weeks ago, I talked about, um, yeah, no, I can't remember his name. He wrote the book, uh, I can't even think of the book, more than just a carpenter, Josh McDowell, was challenged to prove that Christ was not who he said he was. So he does. He took up the challenge. And he investigated the truth. And the truth 
revealed itself to him, and he could not deny it. And instead of continuing to argue with God, he finally came to the conclusion, I have to agree with what he says. Because it's true. It's true. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Psalm 12, 6 and 7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. You know, 1 John 4, 6 says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby we know, know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Hey, John's saying if, if a person won't hear us, it's because they're not of us. Not of us. Well, Psalm 92, 1 says, It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. Psalm 147, verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord, for, for to, it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. And that word comely means fitting, becoming. You know, it's fitting for people that know their God to give thanks unto Him. It's fitting. Do you think Christians should be defined as grouchy, grumpy, critical, discontented, unhappy people? Does that seem to fit? Does that seem to fit people that have been saved by the grace of God? That know their God? A God of goodness, justice, and righteousness? Does that seem to fit? You know, Psalm 126, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist said, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. If God has done great things for us, should we not be filled with joy and gladness, thanksgiving to Him for His wonderful works to the children of men? Enter into His presence with thanksgiving. Is the Lord your Lord? Are you thankful for what He has done for you, for what He has given you? It's indicative of a relationship with the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for how it encourages us and challenges us. And we pray that you'd help us to realize what we have. In our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, help us to be thankful. Help us to commend the honor of God before a lost and dying world, to be a witness and testimony to them, that they too might come to know the benefits of knowing God, walking with Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.